The Z-Ball podcast is a casual conversation that occasionally delves into mature subjects and may contain vulgar adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Z-Ball Podcast. I'm Zeeshan Khan. This is uh, part two of uh, the special edition podcast commemorating the career of the Black Mamba, Kobe Bean Bryant. We're not going to go into much depth as uh, part one, as as we I did in part one, but we'll touch on it a little bit. And uh, we're also going to get into the NBA regular season, the end of it, the wrap-up, the playoff races, the playoff picture, the MVP awards, and obviously the, the Golden State Warriors, who have now put themselves in historic territory with their 72nd win yesterday. And uh, joining me, a regular fixture on my podcast from the Bay Area, diehard Houston Rockets fan and longtime NBA enthusiast, Syed. How are you doing, Syed? Very good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, looking forward to the end of the season and looking forward to getting into the playoffs. So let's just uh, get started on uh, Kobe Bryant. So just uh, kind of take me back to kind of the first time you saw Kobe play and kind of what your thoughts were the first time you saw him uh, on the NBA court. Uh, sure. I mean, at that, at that point, you know, I remember being young, but you know, the craze was kind of people coming out of high school, and there was a lot of buzz around Kobe Bryant, even as a rookie. Um, and, yeah, to be honest, like, I think everybody could see how, just how electrifying he was. He was so quick uh, and so athletic when he was young. It was ridiculous. Um, you know, he, he was six 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 seven. and he was able to guard the quickest people in the league, including Allen Iverson, when he was young. Um, he was just so athletic, ridiculously athletic. Uh, I mean, I think everyone kind of remembers, you know, he, he shot a couple of air balls against Utah in the playoffs. So he didn't he didn't have his jumper when he first came into the league. He, he just went around people and dunked on people. But uh, he worked on his game and he developed that jumper. Um, but he, you could tell, like, just how much talent he had immediately. Okay, so what do you think uh, was kind of holding him back in the first couple of years when he was uh, pretty much a fixture off the bench and kind of backing up Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones? You know, I was I was a big Laker fan at that point, and uh, it was exciting to watch the Lakers at that point because, one, uh, you have to remember that um, Eddie Jones was an all-star at that point. He was their starting uh, shooting guard. Uh, so I always thought, like, you know, Kobe and Eddie would be playing playing together for a long time, and uh, you know Eddie Jones was just an all star at that point. He was one of the better shooting guards in the league, and um, Kobe was 18 years old, so they, they kind of brought him along really slowly, first couple of years. Okay, definitely. Uh, Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones, in my opinion, were better players than Kobe that at least that first year. And then Eddie Jones is probably better than him the second year as well. And ultimately, I think they traded Eddie Jones to the Charlotte Hornets just to, uh, to kind of bring Kobe along a lot faster. So you kind of squashed your uh, dream of watching them play together. What do you think they could have been as a backcourt if you think if they stayed together? you think they, they could have coexisted and kind of uh, uh, led them to championships uh, alongside Shaq? Uh, looking back, you know, Kobe's not going to share the ball with anybody. So, uh, have another guard who's, who, who shoots the ball a lot, uh, I don't think that would have worked. I mean, we, we all saw the type of struggles he had with Shaq, who was a big man. And it was clearly a better player when they were both Lakers. Um, so, him trying to uh, kind of divvy up shots with another guard, it just wouldn't have worked. Okay, definitely. And uh, kind of just go through uh, your five uh, greatest moments, I guess, through Kobe's career, if you could. Um, yeah, it's a little bit difficult. I think 
definitely that that all-star game in New York at MSG when he was kind of dueling Michael Jordan. You could see that, you know, that at that point, everyone was kind of looking at that game as kind of Jordan passing a torch to, to Kobe. Um, so that's right up there. Definitely that that fourth quarter comeback against Portland. Um, that, that's right up there as well. When they came back from 15 points in the fourth quarter in Game Seven against what people thought was a more talented Trailblazer team. Um, some of those clutch shots he hit against the Pacers in the finals when. Um, Shaq was either injured or fouled out. Uh, Kobe really won a couple of games there where um, he showed he was definitely uh, one of the better players in the league. Okay. Uh, anything else? Um, I mean, those three in terms of early in his career, um, later on in his career, obviously winning that fifth title against Boston, even though he didn't play good in game seven, he was like six for 24 or something. Um, getting that fifth title, um, that's definitely big. And then I, I have to throw up that 81 point game. So those are probably what I'd say is top five moments. Okay, definitely. It's a very great choices right there. So when it comes in terms of his legacy, uh, where would you rank Kobe all-time amongst uh, Laker players and amongst uh, all-time shooting guards? Um, amongst Laker players, you know, it's difficult. There have been better Laker players but in terms of longevity with the team and what they've accomplished with just the Lakers. Um, I'd put him second right behind Magic Johnson. Like I think Wilt Chamberlain's a better player, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a better player, and possibly Jerry West and Oscar Robertson. But uh, all those guys other than Jerry West, uh, you know, they, they played elsewhere as well. So I don't think they could say that they're a better Laker than, than Kobe. So I put them second after Magic Johnson there. And in terms of all-time shooting guard, um might be second right behind MJ. Okay, definitely. That sounds about right uh, for that. What, what most people analyze. So uh, kind of us, where do you put him, I guess, amongst players in his generation, in his era? Uh, probably third. Um, I think if you consider Shaq in his era, and I probably would, um, I'd put him behind Shaq, and I'd put him behind Duncan. Okay. Um, and if you go, it depends on how far back you go as well. Um, uh, Olajuwon, I'd probably consider before him, but if you consider him in the same generation, i put Olajuwon ahead of him too. Um, and then if you consider LeBron James in his generation, um, I'd put LeBron James ahead of him too. So it depends on who you consider in his generation, but... Uh, if you go with kind of 2000 to 2015 and kind of limit it there, uh, I think Shaq and Duncan are better than him during okay. that era. Okay, the way I was asking it, it was in terms of the the players you mentioned was Shaq and Duncan. So you have him third in that aspect. Okay, that's uh, interesting. So uh, just uh, to wrap it up, uh, where do you put him, I guess, all time amongst all the games players, amongst all the games greats? Um, I think he's right there in the fringe top ten. Um, I think a couple of those lists that came out, what was it, Sports Illustrated and uh, maybe ESPN, they had him around 12th, so, uh, and I agree with that. Okay, definitely. So uh, 12th all-time amongst all great players. So uh, let's uh, – we wish Kobe the best, definitely, uh, moving on into his retirement. And he now has one game left in his career. Uh, he just – played his last road game today in Oklahoma City, and the Lakers lost that game. Uh, pretty uh, devastating loss for them. Uh, they lost it pretty big. So uh, he's now into his last game, which will be Wednesday night against the Utah Jazz at Staples Center. And yeah, I'll, be, I'll be rooting pretty hard for him there as, as, a, as a Rockets fan. Okay, definitely. Uh, that sounds... <laughs> 
Sounds good. Rockets definitely need uh, the Utah to lose to get into the playoffs. So let's get into uh, the probably the biggest story, if it weren't for Kobe in the NBA. Uh, the Golden State Warriors uh, played absolutely well yesterday in San Antonio, ending their home streak and ending their losing streak in San Antonio and ended up collecting their 72nd win to tie the 1995-1996 Chicago Bulls. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Stephen Curry and just the entire Warrior season and their pursuit of the all-time regular season wins record. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They always find a way to win all those close games. Like you saw just a couple of nights ago in Memphis, they were down by 10 in the fourth quarter. And they came back and won that by one point. Um, against Oklahoma City, they were down four, 14 seconds to go, and they have all-world Kevin Durant make, like, three stupid mistakes within 14 seconds. Um, they just really find a way to pull out all those close games, and it, it's just ridiculous. And Steph Curry is, um, you know, I wouldn't argue with anybody who calls him the greatest shooter of all time. Let's just put it that way. Um, well, I, I, I think it's uh, it's pretty obvious that he's the greatest shooter of all time, not with all due respect to Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, those type of guys, because I think he does it in so many different ways. He can do it off the bell, off the ball very well, and he can do it off the dribble. He can cross you up and then hit a, a three-pointer in your face, and he can hit a three-pointer from pretty much anywhere half-court in and within the basket, so... He's definitely changing uh, the landscape in terms of shooting, but I just uh, everyone says it's so easy just start shooting threes, but everyone doesn't shoot as good as the Warriors, and everyone doesn't shoot as good as Stephen Curry. A Stephen Curry type shooter comes around maybe once every twenty twenty five years. So I caution uh, teams when they try to replicate the Warriors style and Stephen Curry style, but definitely he's been absolutely amazing i think he's no doubt the mvp of the league and it probably should be a unanimous choice even though he hasn't played particularly as good as he was in the beginning of the season probably in the last like 15 20 games but he's still clear and clear in a way the mvp favorite for this season and he's going to become only the ninth player in nba history to have a PER of 30-plus in the regular season. I, I believe he's going to be the only point guard ever to do something like that. So I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on kind of the efficiency that, that he's put up from all all around on, on the floor on offense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous like how he's able to hit pretty much any shot within half court. Like, you know, people joke around how people have anywhere inside the, the gym range, but Steph Curry, like, brings that to life. Um, and even, like, yesterday, you saw, like, I think he hit, he hit that shot that was just after the buzzer, so it didn't count because past half court. Uh, the, the guy's just amazing in terms of how he's able to hit shots. Um, and, but it's not just that. The, the reason they killed the, the Spurs yesterday is because he could dribble drive around the whole team. It looked like he, he was, like, on the globe trotters. He was, like, doing laps around some of those players who looked really old and slow, and the Spurs were supposed to be the best defensive team in the NBA. Um, so, like, his handle's ridiculous. His shot's ridiculous. Um, I don't know what else you could say about him. I, I agree. Like, he, he is... Um, I don't know if he's, it's unanimous, but he's definitely overwhelming by far the favorite for MVP. Okay, definitely. Uh, what do you think I kind of went wrong for the Spurs yesterday in that game against the Warriors? I mean, because it looked like they really had trouble scoring, especially in the second half. Their backcourt was absolutely awful with uh, Parker and Green. They didn't get anything going. They got outscored 51-6 to by Curry and uh, Clay Thompson. What do you think the problem was in that game uh, in the second half and down the stretch in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I mean, p part of it was they couldn't guard Curry, and another part was, like, it was hard for them to create offense. Um, it's one thing to play team ball, but in the playoffs or in high-pressure situations, sometimes you need a guy to create his own shot. Uh, and as great as... 
um, Kawhi Leonard is, he's not exactly somebody who's great at getting by somebody. Um, same thing with LaMarcus Aldridge. He can score, but he's not somebody who's disrupting the defense. Uh, as much as someone like Steph Curry is when Steph Curry is dribbling around three of your players and passing it off to somebody else, you know? Um, it, it, when the Spurs were really great, it was when Manu Ginobili could split the defense, get by everybody. Uh, same thing with Tony Parker. Uh, you know, he, he was like literally the fastest guy in the league for a while. And... Now those two guys are really old, and sometimes the Spurs look old as a team. Uh, definitely. Uh, watching uh, the four games uh, this season between the Spurs and the Warriors, I just think it's definite, uh, definite must for the Spurs to kind of control the pace to have any chance of beating the Warriors, from what I've seen so far. But if Tony Parker can be the Tony Parker of old and get in the paint like he usually does, I think that can kind of change a bit, and then... Danny Green, like I said, needs to step up as well, both on defense and uh, hitting those uh, wide-open three-pointers that he gets. But how big of a factor do you think uh, Boris Diaw being out the last two games was for the Spurs? Because he's kind of a, a a playmaker for them, and he kind of makes things happen. So do you think that really affected them the last two games? Um, well, against the, the Warriors, I think it did a little bit. Um because their interior defense just wasn't there, and nor was the playmaking. Um, and like in the games he played against the Warriors, he was he was able to help the help the Spurs out in those categories. So uh, he might have made a little bit of a difference, but to be honest, the, the way Steph Curry was shooting it in that second half. Um, it's hard to say that he would have made a difference there, you know. All right, definitely. Uh, so let's get into the the question that everyone's probably going to be debating for the next, like, two weeks or probably even longer than the next couple of months. Uh, how does this uh, Golden State team uh, compare with the 1995-1996 Chicago Bulls team? <laughs> you know, it's... It's weird because old people sound like haters, but I'm going to agree with them, you know. Um, Scottie Pippen went out and said that they they would sweep the, the Warriors, and Charles Barkley said the, the Bulls would win at five. And I kind of agree with Barkley. I think um, the Warriors might be able to take one or two, but I do not see a team with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman uh, losing to to the Warriors. I think Pippen and and Jordan would be able to lock down Curry and and Clay Thompson pretty pretty good. Um, and, and Dennis Rodman would kind of disrupt everybody else on defense. Um, and, and I don't think they have anybody who would stop Jordan. So. Okay, definitely. I, I I'm going to kind of agree on that. I think. Uh, Jordan and Pippen, probably two of the best on-ball defenders ever. And then you have Dennis Rodman, the greatest rebounder of all time. I think he would just pound uh, the Warriors on the glass. But one thing, interesting note to kind of take into account is that what kind of rules would be would they be playing by? The hand check era with the Bulls, and in the Bulls era, the the three pointer was shorter, so that kind of, that would kind of give an advantage to the Warriors, right? So. And then the Warriors as well are also a good defensive team. Would they be a much better defensive team in the handcheck era? Um, I, I think Draymond Green gets away with more handchecks uh, on the, in the perimeter than anybody in the NBA. Um, so I don't think that rule apparently applies to the Warriors. But I don't think it matters what rules would be in play. Uh, I think Michael Jordan would dominate against the Warriors in any situation. Uh, um, nor do I think that difference on the three-point line would be significant. Okay, definitely. So uh, I would probably think I'd probably take the Bulls in six, but I I think the Warriors would kind of be able to hold a, their own a bit, but I, I just think the Bulls uh, were all-time like type team and they were really tough and physical and 
they just found ways to win all the time. Kind of like the Warriors do, but I, I would go with the Bulls. But the Warriors definitely, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if they would win that series. But you, you would think the Bulls were, would win pretty uh, comfortably. Uh, for for the most part, I think Golden State might be able to pull out a game or two, but I think the the Bulls would take it pretty handily. And uh, I think people underrate Scottie Pippen. I think he. Even while he was playing with Jordan, some people consider him the best two-way player in the game, kind of, kind of the way people consider uh, Kawhi Leonard the best two-way player in the game right now. Um, uh, Scottie Pippen was a real disruptive force. Um, so obviously everyone knows Michael Jordan was uh, considered kind of the best player of all time, not only on offense, but like an all-NBA all defender, amazing lockdown defender. You have those two, and then you throw in people like Dennis Rodman and then Tony Kukos, who was a seven-footer who was amazingly versatile and could shoot and pass and dribble. Um, it's it's hard to imagine the Bulls losing. All right, definitely. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the Warriors are going to get the record. I'm pretty sure you're going to agree, right? Yeah, it, it, it would be pretty shocking for them to lose against the, the, the Grizzlies at home, especially after, like, you know, you, you think maybe they'd, they'd overestimate the Grizzlies being the last game at home, but they almost lost to the Grizzlies just a couple of nights ago. So just given that, I don't think they're going to underestimate them or overlook them at this point, you know. Okay, definitely. So it's definitely uh, going to be an exciting game for the – that to watch or and watch Kobe's last game as well. But the Warriors and Spurs are pretty much locked in at one and two. And then Oklahoma City and the Clippers are locked in at three and four. Uh, what do you think the prospects of the three and four seed and OKC and uh, LA Clippers are for the playoffs? Well, I think um, both of those are really talented teams. So if either one of them gets hot, I could see them knocking off either San Antonio or Golden State. But um, I wouldn't see them either one of those two teams like sustaining it. They're just not consistent. Uh, so to be honest, I'd expect either Golden State or San Antonio to come out of the West, uh, no matter what. Okay, definitely. And then uh, what about your uh, Houston Rockets? They've been an absolute disappointment. Do you think they ultimately get into the playoffs, or do you think they fall just short? It's hard to say. That, that team is so madding, like maddeningly inconsistent. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, but it uh, looks like um, the Mavericks are about to beat the Jazz. Uh, and the Rockets won earlier today, so they're going to be tied going into the last game of the season. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Rockets are going to make it and then get trounced in their first round. Okay, so we're going to see a 50-point game, throwback from Kobe, and then they're, they're going to beat the Jazz and the Rockets are going to get in? Uh, 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 I'm counting on it. All right, definitely. One last game for that, for that old-timer. All right, definitely fair enough. Uh, so I guess, I mean, now we'll pretty much do it for the West. I mean, it's pretty much Golden State to lose, I would say. And then San Antonio is also a, a pretty historic team as well. So it's pretty much a collision course for the Western Conference Finals between Golden State and San Antonio. And uh, let's move into the Eastern Conference. So so all eight teams are set. It's just uh, the most intriguing thing in the Eastern Conference is the uh, the three to six seeds with Atlanta, Miami, Boston, and Charlotte. Right now, uh, Boston and uh, Charlotte are in sixth place. They're tied. And Miami is half a game behind Atlanta for third place. So how do you think this is ultimately going to shake out in the last two last two days of the season? Um, no, not too sure, but... Um, you know, I'd probably expect Atlanta to get the three seed and then four, five, and six. It's probably up in the air, but ultimately, I don't know if any of it matters. I think 
no matter what, Cleveland's probably coming out of the East. Okay, definitely. Uh, do you think it's going to be Cleveland-Toronto in the conference finals, or do you think uh, one of these uh, three to six uh, seeds can get in and get into the conference finals and uh, beat the Raptors in the second round? Um, yeah, I don't count on Toronto or, or consider them a lock to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I, th- I think those teams could upset them. Um, it's not that big of a gap, and neither is Toronto all that reputable in the playoffs. They haven't shown that they can win in the playoffs yet. I mean, they got swept out last year by the Wizards and, um, even the Bulls, who were outside of the playoffs, had a perfect record against the, the Raptors, I think, in the regular season. So um, uh, I, I don't think it's a guarantee that they make the conference final. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if they face uh, either Miami or Boston in the second round, I'm I'm going with either Miami or Boston. I think they're both better teams than Toronto. And uh, what do you, what is your overall opinion about Miami? Uh, they've been playing uh, – very fast-paced uh, as of late, and their offenses look very, very good. Uh, do you think Chris Bosh ultimately makes it back, or do you think he's out for the rest of the season? Um, I hope he comes back. You know, I think if he comes back, they can make it interesting against Cleveland. Um, and uh, from what I hear, he wants to come back, but. Uh, who knows? I think like he'll probably try to come back. It, you know, so may, hopefully they're able to make it interesting because you know the way Hassan Whiteside's playing and Dwayne Wade is able to stay healthy. They got a pretty decent team. Yeah, I mean, definitely they've been playing a lot better lately, especially on offense. But uh, the thing I kind of struggle with them. I mean, uh, they have trouble on the road. I mean, they haven't really had any legitimate road wins that I can think of uh, this season. So I don't, I don't know uh, how they're going to fare against Cleveland in the series in Cleveland. But on the other side, Cleveland also struggles uh, in Miami for the last two seasons and they haven't played well at all in Miami. So uh, do you think you kind of see that possibly going into seven if they ultimately do meet up in the conference semis or the conference finals? Um, yeah, I could put, I could see uh, Miami, um, pushing that series out. Um, you know, I think uh, Dwayne Wade and uh, Chris Bosch are veteran players, and um, they got a couple of young guys who are, who are pretty good. I, I'm a fan of Justin Winslow. Um, and Gordon Dragic is a pretty decent player, and Hassan Whiteside showing up pretty big as well. So, uh, And they have good role players as well, like Luol Dang, et cetera. So, um I think they're, they're they're a pretty solid team overall, um, but uh, I, I'd favor Cleveland against everybody in the East. Yeah. All right, definitely. Uh, Cleveland uh, has been playing, I guess, much better lately, and especially LeBron. LeBron has looked uh, very good the last, like, 10, 12 games. He's been playing uh, super efficient, and he's been scoring well. His shots looks like a lot better than it has been uh, throughout the season. So what do you do you think he's ready? He's turning it on and ready for playoff mode? I think so, definitely. I think he, he always kinda of turns it up uh when he when he needs to. Um and you know, I think he he's still kinda of eager to prove every to everybody that he's still maybe the best player in the league. Um and, you know, we we all saw those things where he was kind of tweeting out other things during the, the Spurs-Warriors game, not even, like, caring about what they were doing. Um, and there's a lot of theories around that. But, you know, I think, I think he's still a very driven person, and he wants to prove to people that he can still win championships. So I expect him to come up big. Okay, definitely. Uh, his tweets are, are their own puzzle and their own... <laughs> their own type of mystery in itself. But uh, what do you think Cleveland ultimately has to fix to kind of uh, give themselves a puncher's chance against either San Antonio or Golden State or whatever team ends up in the finals from the Western Conference? Um, Well, I think Kevin Love 
before he came to Cleveland, was one of the most overrated players in the league, and he's kind of showing that. Um, kind of same thing with Kyrie Irving. Um, I think he's horribly overrated. Neither one of them are kind of really conducive to playing team basketball. Uh, neither one of them is a great defender. But um, I think to have an opportunity in the playoffs to kind of prove everybody wrong. Um, you know, last year we saw Cle- like LeBron James literally drag Cleveland to the finals, and uh, he took a couple of games literally by himself against the Warriors. Um, if he had another person, like he doesn't even need Kevin Love to be a dominant player. He just needed somebody to hit shots, you know, in the finals last year. So if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love can stay healthy and hit shots in the playoffs, um, this team's got a chance to to go all the way, I think. Okay, definitely. Uh, what do you think for them uh, defensively? Because uh, when they go to – the Warriors go to that, like, so-called death lineup, uh, Kevin Love becomes kind of also, kind of obsolete because uh, his defensive uh, deficiencies and so forth. So what do you think uh, – that would do to Kevin Love's psyche if he, they uh, keep him out in those type of situations down the stretch in the fourth quarter and kind of go with uh, small with uh, Tristan Thompson at center and LeBron at power forward and I guess J.R. Smith at small forward and then Delhi and Kyrie Irving in the backcourt. What do you what do you think that would do to Kevin Love's psyche? Um, I think by now he's kind of used to it uh, and he'd have to deal with it. Um, he, he's a spot-up three-point shooter who shoots like 35%. Um, he needs to deal with it. Okay, definitely. So you're saying uh, everybody but LeBron needs to kind of accept their role and do whatever they need to do to help the team win? Uh, exactly, and that's how you win in the NBA. Like, you need to know your role. Uh, I think Spurs are a great example of that. Okay, definitely. Uh, let's kind of get into some uh, disappointments in the Eastern Conference, and and it definitely starts in the Eastern Conference with the Chicago Bulls, who will be on the outside looking in this season in the playoffs. Uh, they are actually eliminated yesterday with Detroit and Indiana winning. So what do you think ultimately went wrong for this team this season? Um. I thought Tom Thibodeau was a really good coach for them, and for some reason they thought he did a terrible job. Uh, They brought in uh, Fred Hoiberg, who I think hasn't really commanded the leadership you need from a head coach. Um, And at the same time, I think they've had some injuries. Derrick Rose has been relatively healthy. I think he's played 65, 67 games, which is a lot for him. Um, But uh, Jimmy Butler is gone for a bunch of games, and I think the biggest thing is Joe Kim Noah was injured pretty much all year as well, and in the beginning of the year, uh, for for whatever reason, he was benched as well. Um, and he was kind of the heart and soul of the team for the last, like, five, six-plus years, you know? Um, so I think not having him on the court definitely hurt this team a lot. All right, definitely. Uh like I mentioned uh, in a previous podcast, I I just don't understand the fascination with this team every year. I think they're always overhyped, overrated, and then they were pretty uh, manageable with the, the defensive system that they had with Tom Thibodeau. Their defense was always gritty, always tough. That always kept them in games. But uh, I always mention that I don't like to people who kind of talk after the fact, I said this, I said that. But truth be told, I actually two years ago, proposed a crazy theory for the Bulls to fix their team. I mentioned that they should trade Derrick Rose at that time for Isaiah Thomas and the Sacramento Kings first round pick. And then they should sign Carmelo and Chris Bosch in the off season as free agents. How do you think their team would have looked if they had gone through with my uh, crazy plan? Um, Hard to say. Uh, no, I'm not a big fan of Carmelo. I think he's he's a huge cancer to pretty much every team he's on. So to say that um, 
you bring on Carmelo, you'd be a better team. It's, it's hard to stand. And just given the injuries that Chris Bosch has had to deal with the last two years, um, it's hard to say. Obviously, like Isaiah Thomas is a much better player now than he was with the, with the Kings, but uh, it, it, it's hard to say that they would be a better team with Carmelo and Bosch. And they already have, you know, a bunch of fours and fives, Paul Gasol, Tosh Gibson, um, Joe Kim Noah previously, and then a bunch of players who they think have potential, like that Portis guy and Miritich and a couple others. Like um, uh, they had that, I think he's Brazilian, Felicio playing against um, the Cavs, so... The Bulls go pretty deep at the four and five positions. So, with um, Chris Bosch, it made a huge difference, even if he was healthy. Hard to say. Okay, definitely. And uh, one thing about Derrick Rose, I I just think everyone kind of built up this false kind of expectation for him. He never should have won MVP in 2011. I mean, even though he played well, and that was probably his best season of his career so far. He was, I mean, I think they were more a first-place team just because of how good they played on defense and not because of Derrick Rose. He definitely had a good year that year, but not worthy of an MVP. And I think that MVP was kind of taken away from LeBron just because of the whole decision fiasco. So uh, what were your thoughts on that 2011 MVP? Do you think Derrick Rose was deserving of it? Um... Probably not. I'd, I'd probably give it to LeBron James, but I think Derrick Rose had a pretty good year. He, he was on the best team, which record-wise, which is why they won it. But I agree. I think LeBron individually had a better year. Um, and I think it was just kind of fatigue in terms of voters, you know. Um, they just didn't want to vote LeBron MVP again. Uh, it, it, it kind of happened to Michael Jordan, like... He didn't win MVP every year, although he could have won it eight, nine straight years. Okay, um, so is it fair to say that LeBron is a TV decision away from being a five straight MVP award winner? Uh, yeah, I think he, he's been the best player in the league for about eight years or so. Okay, definitely. And then moving forward for the Chicago Bulls, uh, what do you think for them uh, this summer in kind of the free agency trade market? Do you think they try to deal Derrick Rose? Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I think Paul Gasol is a free agent, so he's probably gone. And Joe Kim Noah is a free agent, he's probably gone. Um I would probably try to trade uh, Derrick Rose if you, if you can and just kind of build around Jimmy Butler uh, and rebuild through the draft. Um, so I'd probably try to rebuild in Chicago and try to get rid of some of those pieces. Uh, definitely. I think that's the way to go. Build around Jimmy Butler, your best player, and then kind of that young core you have with Doug McDermott, Nikola Miritich, uh, that center you mentioned, Felicio, and uh, Bobby Portis as well. And, I think you deal Rose if you can, but I don't know which team would want to be taking on his uh, $20 million salary. But even though that's kind of relatively low in the new uh, uh, cap agreement, salary cap, and I think Pau Gasol, I think, is out for sure. He's like around 35, 36 years old, and he's going to be on looking to get his last, the last contract of his career this offseason. I can kind of see him going to back where he started his career and joining his uh, younger brother in Memphis. Do you see that as a possibility for him? Uh, Memphis could certainly use him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure where Paul, Paul would be headed. Um, but uh, I think Memphis would be a better team with him. Okay, definitely. And uh, Joe Kim Noah, I could kind of see him going to either Oklahoma City or Golden State. And... The, those teams would be already a lot better than they are, even with him. What do you think about that? Uh, I agree with that. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. If Dwight leaves, uh, oh, what? Well, come down to Houston, Joe Kim. All right, yeah. I mean, they could definitely use him. Uh, speaking about Dwight Howard, do you think he's uh, for sure gone? For sure. Like okay. 300%. 
Okay, and wh- what do you, what do you think some of what do you think some of the destinations are where he could possibly go land? Everyone's saying he's headed back to Orlando, um, where he saw his glory days. Um, heard like Atlanta a couple of times as well, um, but who who knows? I think um, I, I still think he's he's an he's an elite center. Um, he he can drop. 18 to 20 points a game and still get you 12-ish rebounds per game and, and provide a, a ton of defense. So uh, I still think he's an elite player, at least in terms of being a center in this game. So uh, he, he, I think he's still got a lot left in this thing. But can he do that on a consistent basis to kind of uh, garner uh, max-type money for a center? Um. There's a lot of people who get max. Gordon Hayward's a max player. Enos Cantor's a max player. Uh, what's his guy? What's the guy's name? Uh, Chandler Parsons is a max player. Uh, so it depends on what you mean by max. Uh, do I do I think he, he just given those things? I think he deserves like twenty-ish million per year. Um, much higher than that, I don't know, but. Um, what's his name? Freaking Wesley Matthews is getting paid a ton of money, and he's like a role player. So, all right, definitely fair. Where we're at in the NBA, um, I would pay Dwight Howard. All right, definitely uh, fair enough. Uh, moving into, I guess, another disappointing team: uh, some Washington Wizards. I mean, they were due to kind of take that next step this season. What do you think happened there? Do you think it was injuries? Do you think it was uh, the lack of development from John Wall, Bradley Beal? What do you think uh, went wrong over there in uh, the nation's capital in D.C.? Yeah, definitely a combination of both. I uh, didn't see John Wall or, or Bradley Beal develop much. And, but at the same time, Bradley Beal, I think he, he missed a ton of games uh, this year as well. Uh, I think everybody's kind of looking – and both of them to improve quite a bit. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of both those players. So I think both those players have a ton of potential. They just didn't realize it this year, you know. Um, so it was definitely a disappointing year for them. Okay, definitely. Uh, so that should probably do it for the uh, playoff picture. So, And let's go into some of the awards. I guess we can both uh, pretty much agree that Stephen Curry is the clear MVP, correct? I agree. Okay, and then uh, let's move it. Go ahead. Sorry. Not much to say there. Okay. He's clearly the best player. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, what do you think about uh, Defensive Player of the Year? Um, I think Draymond Green gets a little overrated. Um, and I would say Kawhi Leonard um, is probably the best defensive player in the in the NBA. And, he deserves to be defensive player of the year. Okay, definitely. Uh, I was really like Draymond probably for most of the season, but he's kind of dropped off. His defense has not looked as good as it usually is recently. So for that, I'm going to go with the consistency, and I'm going to agree with you and go with Kawhi Leonard. So what do you think about uh, Coach of the Year? I think it's hard not to give it to Steve Carr, uh, even though he missed 50-ish games. Uh so give it to Steve Kerr slash Luke Walton, but given that they're going to win 72, 73 games this year, uh, it's hard not to go with the Golden State Warriors coaching staff. Yeah, he definitely got to go with Steve Kerr, even though he missed like 30, 40 games, and because teams don't win 70 games every day, so they're only the second team in NBA history, and uh, they're going most likely going to be the team with the most wins in NBA history, so... Probably a no-brainer with Steve Kerr. So what do you think about uh, the uh, six-man? Um, yeah, that, 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 that one's a little tough. Uh, I'll go with Jamal Crawford. Uh, there's probably a few guys to consider, but I'll go with him. Okay, definitely. For me, it's between Crawford and Enos Cantor because they both play for uh, contending teams, and uh, they've both been really good off the bench, especially recently. So, But 
recently Jamal Crawford, in my opinion, has played better between the two. So I'm going to go with him, and he's pretty much a candidate every year. And he's going to win. I think he's going to win his third uh, Six Man of the Year award. So then we'll move into uh, most improved player. What do you think about that one? Um. I think uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of interesting choices here. Depends on how you kind of define most improved player. Do you kind of uh, define it as the guy who improved based on last year, or is it kind of do you kind of just choose a guy who ended up getting more minutes and ended up playing well, kind of like a CJ McCollum or a, and like a Hassan Whiteside as you mentioned, or a guy who improved like a Steph Curry or a Kawhi Leonard who improved drastically. But I'm I'm going to go with C.J. McCollum. Uh, he's really, I think, helped uh, take a, a little bit of a load off Damian Lillard in Portland, and they've been a super surprise team. And it looks like they're going to finish in either the fifth or the sixth position in the Western Conference. They lost 80% of their starting lineup from last year's team, and everyone pretty much predicted them to be a lottery team, a no-doubt lottery team, and they've proved a lot of people wrong and see themselves in the in the Western Conference playoffs. So I'm going to go with CJ McCollum. So uh, last award we're going to get into, what do you think about uh, Rookie of the Year? I think that that one's, again, a no-doubter, Carl Anthony Towns. Definitely, I agree. Uh, It was kind of uh, a little close for about the first 30, 40 games, but Porzingis has kind of tailed off since then, and Carl Anthony Towns has absolutely taken it to another level. And he looks uh, like the next uh, big star in the in the league. And he's super versatile. He can shoot from the outside. He has good strength. And I think he's only going to get stronger. And he also plays very good defense. I don't know if you saw him playing last week when they beat the Warriors in Oracle. Uh, Steph Curry ha- was really having a hard time getting by him and getting shots up. So he really impressed me on that one. So I guess we have a consensus there with Carl Anthony Towns. So I guess that'll do it for, I guess, the the regular season wrap-up. Another topic I kind of wanted to get into, uh, we talked about it in our prior podcast with some other guests, kind of knocking LeBron's uh, ability in late-game situations and in the clutch. And I knew he was uh, a pretty good uh, performer in those situations in playoffs and pretty good as well in the regular season, but I didn't have the exact numbers at that that time, so I didn't really want to get into it more. So I do have the exact numbers now. So just kind of wanted to start it off with the uh, the whole clutch thing. Do you think uh, too much is made of the whole clutch thing? Do you think that's an overused word in the NBA when it comes to analyzing players? Um, yeah, definitely. And I think it's not only that, but kind of willingness to take the shot. So um, I think LeBron is just as good as many other people but people kind of get mad at him for passing the ball in some of those situations where somebody like Kobe is going to take that shot no matter what, even if he's double or triple teamed. Uh, And people give Kobe credit for that because he's willing to take that shot, even if it might not be the best option. So, but I, in, in terms of that, I mean, there's so many players who aren't afraid to take shots, but I think, in my opinion, at least, it's it's got to be more about the result and kind of taking the best shot, getting the best shot for your team in order to win the game. And I think Kobe has taken a lot of really terrible and really stupid shots in late-game situations. And because of that, I think he gets like kind of a false perception that he's a super clutch player. But if you look at the percentages, it's, it's not that's really not the case. So what do you think uh, is kind of – 
the the perception? What, where do you think people get the perception that LeBron is super terrible in these type of situations and Kobe is uh, super excellent? What do you where do you think people get that from? Uh, well, part of it is, I think it has to do with a few things. I think supporting cast. So I think uh, Kobe was clutch when he was with Shaq. He hit a bunch of shots because Shaq was double and triple team. Uh, when I think Shaq left the team and when Kobe decided he was kind of the best player on the team, that's when he, he received those double and triple teams and he didn't do as well hitting those shots. Um, so it's partly that, um, and, and then it's kind of finals record. I think LeBron James unfairly t- kind of takes the brunt for losing a couple times in the finals. Um, the demand makes four finals in a row, which is, I don't know how many players in NBA history have ever done it. Michael Jordan didn't do it. Uh, I mean, he, he kind of took a year off and made – three in a row and then three in a row after a two-year hiatus. But um, because he lost to those finals, including um, when he was with the Cavs, he, you know, he got frounced by, by the Spurs. But, you know, because of that, he's got three losses in the finals now. So people kind of – say, oh, he, he's not clutch in the playoffs when he needs to be in. I think you get unfairly dinged for carrying a terrible team to the finals or just reaching the finals when other players are not even reaching the finals. Yeah, I mean, I that's it's similar for Tom, Tom Brady. Um, Super Bowl or finals record is not like the end-all, be-all. Actually reaching the finals is a positive compared yeah. to not reaching it. I definitely agree with that. It's almost kind of become like the narrative has almost become that you're better off losing in the conference finals than you are in the NBA finals. That's kind of what it's almost become with LeBron. I feel like sometimes rationale and uh, logic are kind of thrown out the window when it comes to LeBron. I feel like he's over-scrutinized way more than any other player, at least that I've ever seen in the NBA. So where do you where do you think that kind of comes from? Because most of the time when players win championships and they have success, the scrutiny slowly, slowly kind of goes goes away and it kind of dies down. So why do you think with LeBron it's been st- stayed up there and kind of just remained there and it's pretty much hasn't really changed from the days when he was in Cleveland in his first stint? Well, I think part of it was he brought, he brought some of it on himself where he was like, we're not going to win three, not four, not five, not six titles or whatever, you know? Um, so it's not only he, did, he, did he do that, show the decisions and, you know, then making claims like that during it, you know? So he, he brought some of that attention on himself. Um, but, he's, you know, people started to get on his side once he won two of those, those two titles. And then he, he bolts out of Miami again. So, um yeah, I think he he's brought some of it on to himself. Um, All right, definitely. Uh, at the same time, I think he he's what two and four in the finals now. Um, yeah, correct. I I definitely think he you know he gets unfairly dinged for you know losing twice to the Cavaliers with an absolutely terrible team, whereas somebody else um, like Kobe or T Mac wouldn't even come close to the finals. You know, it's just. Uh, throw a couple of those wing players out there in his place. They, they don't even reach the finals, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely, I agree with that. So uh, kind of if if you were to ask the question to I guess, an average Joe on the streets of any, I guess, major city in the in the country, who is a, a better uh, percentage shooter in kind of late game situations and regular season and playoffs between Kobe and LeBron, uh, what do you think most people would answer? Kobe. Okay, definitely. So uh, I don't know if uh, if you got a chance to take a look at those uh, numbers that I sent you earlier today. Yep. Okay, so let's kind of go over those a, a little bit. Uh, so we'll, we'll start in the regular season first, and this is a comparison between uh, LeBron and Kobe and late game situations. These are situations in which uh, 
their team is either tying or taking the lead and shot attempts to either tie or take the lead. So with five minutes or less, LeBron in the regular season is 207 out of 471 for a percentage of about 44%. Compared to Kobe in those same situations since uh, 2001, since the 2000-2001 season, Kobe is 249 out of 650 for a percentage of 38. Then if you go two minutes or less in the same scenario, LeBron is 41.4% compared to 37.2% for Kobe. Then if you go one minute or less, LeBron is 36.8% to compare to 34.55% for Kobe. Then if you go in the final minute, 30 seconds or less, LeBron is 31% to Kobe's 30%. Then 24 seconds or less, LeBron is still around 29.9% compared to 29.4% for Kobe. Then when you get into 10 seconds or less, Kobe is probably decidedly better in terms of field goal percentage in these situations. 19% for LeBron compared to 27. 7% for Kobe. And then the last five seconds of the regular season, LeBron is about 14.75% compared to Kobe being 25.88% field goal. So what do you think about these numbers in terms of the comparison? Well, I think um, the, the, the numbers uh, that you've shown kind of show that LeBron's actually a more clutch player than Kobe in terms of field goal percentage. But both in the kind of the regular season and the playoffs. Okay, definitely. I would agree with that. So and I can't it's just unbelievable how LeBron un unfairly gets kind of this perception. I mean, I feel like LeBron's misses in these type of situations stick with him more than uh, Kobe's misses and when people think of Kobe they kind of just think only about the the times that he's successful in these types of situations why do you think uh, these misses stick with LeBron and they don't stick with Kobe um, I yeah I think a lot of people just kind of like to hate on uh, on LeBron like you said I think unfairly he, he kind of gets labeled those sorts of things, just because of the expectations that are on him. People kind of expect him to hit everything and to win every game for some reason. Okay, definitely. So let's kind of just go into some of the playoff numbers in the same situations. We'll go five minutes or less in the playoffs to tie or take the lead and shot attempts to shot, tie or take the lead. Five minutes or less. LeBron is 43 of 96 in his career for 44.8%. Kobe in the same situations is 30 for 88 since 2001 and for a field goal percentage of 34.1. We go two minutes or less. Kobe is 17 out of 50 for 34%. LeBron is 23 of 52 for 44%. And then we go into one minute or less. Kobe is 10 for 37 for 27%. And LeBron is 15 of 34, which is 44.12%. Then uh, within a minute, 30 seconds or less, Kobe is 7 for 27 for 25.9%. And LeBron is 10 for 25 for a field goal percentage of 40 with 30 seconds or less. Then we go 24 seconds or less. Kobe, 6 for 24 for a field goal percentage of 25. And LeBron, 8 for 23 for a field goal percentage of 34.8%. And then 10 seconds or less, we go first we go Kobe, 4 for 18 for a field goal percentage of 22.2. And LeBron, 7 for 19 for a field goal percentage of 36.84. And then 5 seconds or less, lastly, Kobe, 3 for 14 for a field goal percentage of 21.4 versus LeBron, 5 for 14 in these same situations for a field goal percentage of 35.71. So clearly we can see based on those numbers that LeBron is much better in these type of situations in the playoffs. And playoffs, would you agree that, Syed, are 
way more important games and way more pressure packed games than regular season games. I agree, and uh, Kobe's numbers are not good, not good. Okay, definitely. So, why why do you think Kobe gets this kind of put on a pedestal, and he kind of gets mentioned as the best closer or the the Black Mamba, ice in his veins, and these type of situations? It's um, he he's got those five titles, and uh, you know I think those Laker fans who are like 18 years old or like 22 years old don't know that Shaq was clearly the dominant player when he won those first three titles. Okay, definitely. So uh, let's kind of go in a little more into kind of some stats. Uh, We'll go into some Game 7 stats for both of these players, Kobe and LeBron. Kobe has played in six career Game 7s, and his average stats are... 22.2 22.2 points per game, eight rebounds a game, and five assists a game on 39% field goal percentage from the field, shooting percentage from the field. And compared to LeBron, who has played in four game sevens, 34 points a game, 8.1 rebounds per game, and three and a half assists per game on about 46.5 field goal percentage. So clearly, when you look at game sevens, LeBron has also come up big. So why does LeBron get this kind of uh, uh, unfair treatment and kind of unfair perception that he doesn't come up big in in big games? I don't think people realize just how bad those teams in Cleveland were when he was on them. Like he 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 made like a terrible Cleveland team into like a sixty win team uh, a couple of times. Like his second best player was Adrian Tillagowskis. Okay, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then if we go into elimination games, uh, Kobe has played in 19 career elimination games. His averages in those elimination games, 21.5 points per game on 41.4% from the field and average of 5.8 rebounds and 3.5 assists per game compared to LeBron, who has been in 12 elimination games, 31.5 points per game on 46% field goal per, from the field with an average of 10 rebounds and six and a half assists per game. I mean, it's not even fucking close in these type of situations. So I, I just don't get all the hype uh, when it comes to Kobe and, and he gets all this credit in front of LeBron and LeBron is just clearly better in these situations. So kind of, would you agree with that? I completely agree. Um, and I think there's a lot of bandwagon, bandwagon Laker fans who were just not that smart. Okay, definitely. And uh, what do you think uh, the story would have been if uh, LeBron had a a Game 7 like Kobe did in the finals, the 23 points, 6 for 24 from the field, but ultimately the Lakers still won. If LeBron in the same situation had those same stats and ultimately the Heat won in 2013, still managed to win, what do you think, the I guess, the perception or narrative would have been about LeBron, if he had had that type of performance and the the Heat won uh, against the Spurs in 2013? You'd probably hear a lot that it was Dwayne Wade's team or Dwayne Wade won the title, you know? You even heard that when LeBron was going over to the Heat that it was Dwayne Wade's team. He, he, he just has to deal with a lot of ridiculous stuff that's not fair. Okay, definitely. And uh, uh, Dwayne Wade's my favorite player, but definitely, I mean, I don't think he was the better player at any point during those four seasons when LeBron was in Miami. LeBron was clearly the better player. And definitely Wade helped. He was a great second option in some of those title runs. But LeBron was clearly, clear in a way, the best player on that team. And uh, I don't know if you listen to Bill Simmons much, but he, he kind of talks about those uh, latest SmackDown type games and the in the playoffs. I mean, I could kind of think of like three or four of them for LeBron. Uh, when you think about Kobe and the, those latest SmackDown type games, uh, what, what kind of game comes to your mind? What kind of performance? Um, later in his career, uh, like you said, a lot of disappointment. So, I mean, if, if you could point to a particular game that Kobe has, like kind of similar to what LeBron had in like game six against Boston or, Game six against Detroit that time, 
or game five, excuse me, against Detroit in 2007. Can you kind of point to one particular performance that Kobe had that was kind of similar to that in the playoffs? Uh, no, because it, uh, I mean, in, in his last two titles with the Lakers, games that stick out were were like that game seven where they won despite him going six for twenty four, um, and, and kind of the year before where they lost by thirty forty points in Boston game six. So uh, those are the things that stand out for Kobe for me. Okay, definitely. And uh, just for perspective, LeBron in that Game 7 against the Spurs in 2013 in the NBA Finals, 37 points on 12 of 23 from the field, 5 of 7 from three-point range for a field goal percentage of 52, and then 12 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and tur- 2 turnovers. Much better stat line than Kobe, and I just don't get all the the <laughs> the reasons why people kind of just scrutinize this guy to death and I just I, I just don't get it so uh, ultimately you would say if both careers ended right now you would pick LeBron over Kobe by far even uh, after LeBron won his first title I would have chosen him and uh, that was a few years ago so okay. he's passed him quite a bit it's not even close okay and that that's career wise correct Okay, definitely. Uh, Definitely a lot of exciting games uh, coming up. I hope everyone enjoys the last two days of the regular season and into the playoffs. Uh, I'll be back uh, later this week to do a preview, full preview of the first round. And, Syed, it's always a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for coming on again. All right, thank you. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you later this week.